Hey there, soulmates. Welcome to your Friday, January 20th edition of Fox Soul's Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. Happy Friday, soulmates. We're honored to stand behind this desk each day to take you on a journey across black America mm -hmm. and the stories that impact our people. Yeah, you best believe we're going to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. Our top story takes us to New Jersey, where police continue to search for two missing women whose families say they were last seen nearly two weeks ago. The couple, 25-year-old Amani Glover and 29-year-old Destiny Owens, uh, were reported missing out of Morristown and East Orange. Although the women are dating, their disappearances were a week apart. Owens was last seen in Newark on Christmas Eve, while Glover was reported missing on January 8th. Family and friends are organizing a search through several areas this weekend in hopes of providing police with assistance in finding their loved ones. Now over to Memphis, where a civil rights investigation is now underway in the death of Tyree Nichols. The investigation is being led by the Department of Justice and the FBI. Last week, Tyree Nichols was stopped by Memphis police, who used excessive force during his arrest that lawyers believe led to his death. The officers connected to Nichols' death were immediately placed on leave, although the department has not disclosed the number of officers involved. The investigation will focus on whether the officers broke any law while also looking into what department policies were violated. A Portland, Oregon man is facing both federal and state charges stemming from his attacks on several ethnic centers. Police say 34-year-old Michael Edgar Bivens set fire to a Muslim center, vandalized two synagogues, and a black-owned business. He also faces one count of arson in the first degree, five counts of criminal mischief in the first degree, and five counts of biased crime in the second degree. He is also accused of spraying threatening anti-Jewish language on the exterior of a synagogue and using a rock to break the window of another building on the synagogue's campus. New details today surrounding the viral video of an Ohio officer punching a black woman in the head in the parking lot of a McDonald's. The police chief says the officers responded to a call of a customer who was angry about a food order. Reports say the woman cooperated at first, but refused to give the officers identification so they could give her a citation. The woman went to the hospital where she was treated for her injuries to her head. The officers who punched the woman has been placed on administrative leave pending the investigation. And just an amazing story here as the Colombian Navy rescued a man from the Dominica who says he survived days at sea with items you may have right there in your seasoning cabinet. 47-year-old Elvis Francois says he survived 24 days adrift in the Caribbean on a sailboat by eating ketchup, garlic powder, and seasoning cubes. Francois told police he was stranded back in December when currents swept his sailboat out to sea while he was making repairs. Francois said he had to constantly remove water from the boat to prevent it from seeking, uh, sinking. He also tried to light up fire to send a distress signal without success. Rescue crews say Francois wrote the world word help on the boat's hull, which was key to locating him. Just an amazing story. Ketchup, garlic powder, and seasoning packets.
that kept right. him alive. <laughs> wow. I'm going to race to the grocery store <laughs> right away just in case. Something uh, goes down. Something goes down. You know, you just got to have those those main three uh, uh, in your cupboard. That's right. I mean, it sort of reminds mm -hmm. me of almost the deleted scene from the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks mm -hmm. where, mm -hmm. you know, uh, he had to survive, you know, with minimal, mm -hmm. um, you know, things for survival. Uh, you know, this is just a, a real life example of uh, how that ketchup you know, yeah. ketchup just might save your life. It's not just good for a, for a good old hot dog or something. You know, we're, we're chuckling about but it. It might save I your know. life, soulmates. Invest in ketchup. <laughs> we're chuckling about it, but that's really serious. If you think about the dangers of the Caribbean Sea, it's a beautiful sea. It's peaceful uh, in most parts. It's like sea see through. You can see straight down. You've got aqua. You've got blues. But when you get way out there with all of uh, God's creatures uh, and the elements, that could be very uh, dangerous. So that's just maybe a, a testament to his skill as probably a fisherman and his, his will to uh, survive and to just, you know, think on his feet with the seasonings. That sounds like he was a fisherman. Seasonings, garlic powder, yeah. ketchup. Yeah. That is an amazing story and that, that might need to become a movie. Well, we're really glad that he survived and at a minimum, yeah. he should be getting the ketchup deal. Heinz or somebody <laughs> needs to be giving him a call because if see. this ain't an endorsement for ketchup, I don't know what is. We shall see. All right, moving on here to Baltimore where uh, a prosecutor, Marilyn Mosby's uh, perjury case uh, was denied as far as a motion to change the venue. Mosby's uh, defense team asked the judge to relocate the trial from Baltimore to a place where the jury pool was less connected to her as a prosecutor. Mosby's defense team asked the judge to relocate the pre-jury trial from Baltimore to a place where, again, uh, the jury pool was less connected to her. The judge denied the request and even threatened to hold Mosby's lawyer in contempt after publicly suggesting the prosecution was racially motivated. Prosecutors say Mosby lied about having a tough financial time during the pandemic in order to take money out of her retirement account to buy vacation properties in Florida. The trial is still set for March in Baltimore. Democratic Representative James Clyburn says he has no doubt that Biden will run for re-election in 2024. Clyburn said Wednesday that he's warning fellow Democrats against challenging him. The Democratic rep was a key Biden ally in, 20, in the 2020 election and praised him for passing more progressive laws. But Clyburn says he's mainly warning against challengers to prevent a similar outcome of former President Jimmy Carter in 1980. He's referring to Senator Ted Kennedy's challenge of Carter. Carter did beat Kennedy for the Democratic nomination, but ultimately lost to former President Ronald Reagan in the general election, a defeat that many blamed on Kennedy's challenge. In honor of the 50th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade ruling, Vice President Kamala Harris is expected to give a speech in Florida. Officials have not confirmed the location of that speech, but that it is a continuation of Harris's focus on reproductive rights in recent months, which has included meetings with activists, health care providers, and state lawmakers from around the country. It's also intended to be a signal that the administration isn't giving up on abortion now that uh, the midterm election is over. And Courtney, speaking of Vice President Harris, she made a visit to Tonopah this week to showcase the Biden administration's clean energy investment. Take a look.
Vice President Kamala Harris visited Arizona Thursday for the groundbreaking of the power line known as the 10 West Link, which will stretch 125 miles connecting electrical substations in Tonopah, west of Phoenix, to Blythe, California. This electricity will be clean electricity. Solar panels and wind turbines do not produce toxic fumes that poison our air. And the energy delivered by these lines will not just be cleaner, it will also be cheaper. And all of this also creates jobs. The VP was joined by Governor Katie Hobbs and two cabinet secretaries. This comes as President Joe Biden wants to move the nation towards more renewable energy, which requires thousands of miles of new transmission lines to get power from vacant land where solar, wind or geothermal energy can be harnessed, making Arizona a perfect spot. The president's goal is to slash greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030. When we invest in climate, we build a safer, cleaner, healthier, more just, and more prosperous country. Although today's visit was all about renewable energy, Cochise County Sheriff Mark Daniels wants the VP to turn her energy towards our southern border. It's frustrating because it's insulting to all of us that wear a badge, our community folks that live in America, and our border patrol agents that we work side by side with. So we won't give up hope. The 10 West line will be able to send 3,200 megawatts of solar energy and will be able to be linked to any future clean energy initiative in the area. A private St. Paul, Minnesota University is being sued by one of its professors over her termination for showing a particular image in art class. Erica Lopez Pratter is suing Hamley University, calling, uh, claiming rather she was wrongfully terminated uh, from the school that takes pride in its diversity and inclusion. Now, Pratter alleges the school made the move to fire her after a student complained about her showing an image of the Prophet Muhammad as part of a global art course. Many Muslims say that the image shown of the Prophet violates the Islamic faith. Prater argues saying the image was not Islamic phobic, Islam phobic rather, but expressive. Now heading over to Chi-Town, where a candidate for alderman is accused of stealing her opponent's signs. She denied it until Fox's Mike Flannery showed her the video. Take a look. Cleopatra Draper was at her campaign office on 103rd Street on January 9th. Our surveillance camera caught her departing, then another recorded Draper walkover to pull up a sign for 9th Ward City Council member Anthony Beal, the man she's trying to unseat. She then put it in her vehicle. Well, have you ever removed the signs? I will so listen. When we spoke to Draper, she initially would not answer when asked if she'd been removing her rival signs in the far south side ward. Then we showed her the video. So how many signs have you removed of his? Uh, you see that one sign on that corner on 103rd? That's garbage. By coincidence, Sheila Robinson, an ally of Tony Beal, happened to be driving by as Draper grabbed Beal's campaign sign. I thought that that was just kind of low. It was not a good look at all for a candidate to be caught pulling up someone else's signs. A few days after that incident, another surveillance camera recorded someone removing several of Beal's signs from the block where he lives. Draper said she was not involved in that incident. 
and science is coming up missing. Uh, I got a call from somebody on 73rd Street and called and said, hey, I'm looking at a dumpster full of your signs. And, uh, you know, we went over there and saw it was over 100 signs put in a dumpster. Larger yard signs like this one are being used by Tony Beal and other candidates as early voting is about to begin and campaign emotions start to run high. They're a bit harder to remove. On 111th Street in Pullman, I'm political editor Mike Flannery. Our thanks to Mike Flannery for that report. Again, candidates in the area are now using larger yard signs. That's a little harder to remove as early voting is set to begin in Chicago. Let me just say this. You know, we're spending more time oh, talking about gosh. how she has allegedly, but according to the tape, uh, <laughs> has removed uh, 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 yard signs as opposed to what she intends to do for the people mm. of Chicago, mm. right? And I think this is the kind of thing that makes voters so cynical about politicians, you know, and, you know, and folks that are running for elected office. You know, it seems all about them and not enough about the residents. And so I think this Ooh. case is a case in point. Huh? Hilarious. I, you're right. You you can't even focus in on what the issues may be. I spent a lot of time in Chicago. It was it was the second birthplace of, of my career, if you will. Um, those streets run all the way from maybe 21st all the way to well out to the to the 180s when you get into the suburbs. <laughs> so if she was on 73rd pulling up signs, 103rd, she was just all over the place. And it's and it's it's unfortunate because maybe she might be a viable candidate with with real uh, solution based. Uh, ideas for those particular communities, but now it's been overshadowed by uh, her skulking across the yard, pulling up this man's signs, yeah. if, if in fact that was her, allegedly. And it probably makes it hard for her supporters That's to right, continue to, to support, support her. her. But, you know, we'll continue to keep you dialed in. Still ahead, a shocking new discovery mm. from scientists regarding oh. one particular STD. Plus, apply pressure to Houston mayors uh, as he works to leave a legacy in his last term. You're watching Fox Black Report. According to a recent study by researchers at the University of California, Irvine, more than 400,000 people live in parts of Los Angeles County that could be inundated with a foot or more of flood water in a 100-year flood event, the kind that has a 1% chance of occurring in any year. Now, the analysis found that black residents of the county were 79% more likely than white residents to be living at risk of deep flooding or at least three feet or about waist high. The study's models show that almost 200,000 and just under 900,000 people and between 36 billion and $108 billion in property value lay within the 100-year flood zone. The impact would be comparable to those of major hurricanes like Katrina, Sandy, or Harvey. A black graduate at BT whose manager joked that she could be deported has won more than 20,000 pounds after suing the company for racial harassment. Fignola Alexandra was left deeply distressed and humiliated by a joke boss Craig Warner made about her visa extension application. The tribunal heard that Warner also shocked Alexandra and another black employee by suggesting the fact there weren't many black swimmers because of class. 
At a hearing to determine Alexandra's compensation, Judge Slater said, quote, we accept the evidence given by Ms. Alexandra that she found this joke about deportation utterly humiliating. The judge added that the swimming comment was particularly hurtful because of the topic of swimming in the black community, specifically in the U.S., is linked with a painful history of racism. The GoFundMe for Keenan Anderson, a black man tased and killed by L.A. police, has raised more than $29,000. The account was created to help the family pay for funeral and memorial expenses. Now, according to an LAPD police report, officers struggled with Anderson for several minutes, utilizing a taser, body weight, firm grips, and joint locks to overcome resistance. Family and friends of Anderson believe he was experiencing a mental health crisis and needed help. Instead, the police treated him like a criminal rather than a victim of a car accident. Anderson is the cousin of Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors and was a dedicated high school teacher and father. Many black homeowners who suspect that discrimination led to an unfair appraisal of their house could request a review and a potential do-over under a federal proposal that will likely go into effect this year. U.S. Housing and Urban Development Secretary Marsha Fudge recently announced a new review process which includes racial discrimination as a reason for a review. It comes as a part of a push from the Biden administration to root out racism and appraisals. This would be the first time that HUD has specifically cited bias or violations of fair housing laws as a legitimate cause for flagging and potentially scrapping an appraisal. The plan is currently under review and open for public feedback through February 2nd. HUD officials say they hope to finalize its language and implement it in the next 60 days. And uh, this is a uh, really uh, important, a step. important step forward. Um, you know, uh, the Fair Housing Act, which is one of the, the crown jewels of, of uh, the civil rights movement's uh, legislative achievements. Um, you know, this is adding flesh to that. And so mm -hmm. we saw the previous HUD secretary that, you know, was trying to do the opposite mm -hmm. of what the current HUD secretary uh, is seeking to do. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is going to make a material difference in the lives of, of black homeowners and would-be homeowners, um, uh, if not for the racial bias in the appraisal process. And so, you know, this is, you know, government at work at its finest. I'm hoping so. I am hoping so. I, I don't want to be a skeptic here, but much like the talk of reparations. Uh, it's going to take a, a, a lot of planning, a lot of execution and uh, uh, big numbers, because I don't know if you can ever put a number on on what we've been robbed of. No, so no more so than you can put, you know, uh, action in place uh, to kind of give back what uh, black uh, potential homeowners may have lost out on. And I'm talking over the years how we've been disenfranchised. There are studies uh, that have been done, the statistics, even couples who have taken matters into their own hands to prove uh, by switching up ownership and, and redesigning homes to, to, to show as if a, a white couple was there. And then all of a sudden these appraisals went up hundreds of thousands of dollars. So uh, it's a great step. Um, uh, I, I hope it becomes enough. But but theoretically speaking, I don't think it ever becomes enough. But I, I like with these small steps how they are messaging um, a, an, an effort to right the wrong, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on. Public health officials uh, say they have found two cases of gonorrhea that appear to resist every kind of antibiotic available to treat it. 
it's the first time strands of gonorrhea, this uh, resistant to antibiotics have been, antibiotics have been identified here in the U.S. Now, increased sexual activity during the pandemic, coupled with fewer people getting routine health screenings, uh, supercharged the spread of sexually transmitted infections around the world. Globally, infections that are resistant to antibiotics kill approximately 700,000 people a year. Sources say that number is expected to rise to 10 million deaths per year by 2050 if steps aren't taken to stop the spread of these resistant orga organisms. More mental health services are coming to Houston thanks to more than a million dollars in federal funding. The grant will allow the IBN Cena Foundation to expand current services and facilities specializing in behavioral health. It's one of the few places in Houston com uh, combining medical care with mental health care. Statistics show one in five adults will experience mental illness this year alone. And after seven years as Houston's mayor, Sylvester Turner will be passing the torch to a new mayor at the end of this year. In this exclusive interview, Fox 26's Jonathan Martin talked with Turner about the priorities during his final year in office. This was all flooded during Harvey. This was flooded. Uh, this was 21 Memorial. And it's still going to be 21 Memorial. And when it's done, those seniors who were there uh, have the right, the first right of refusal to come back. Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner is proud of progress on the rebuild of this affordable senior living complex on Memorial that was ravaged by Harvey. This is a part of the plan to build 7,000 uh, multifamily units uh, by the end of my term, by the end of this year. It's a priority as Turner now enters his final year as mayor. While he touts success over the past seven years in areas like reducing homelessness and pension reform, will he be able to tackle big issues still facing the city, like a growing police officer shortage and illegal dumping? We've also got some street projects, some drainage projects yes, that have yet to be complete. Oh. Um, there's also a cancer cluster in Fifth Ward. Neighbors are furious about it. You've got a year left in office. Where is your focus? What's the yeah, priority? Yeah, but let me just say this. I don't. No mayor finishes every single thing. But you've got to have a, a priority list. I do have a priority list, and if, if you were in my office, you would see the list. Topping that list is public safety. The mayor says the $44 million One Safe Houston crime reduction plan is working with violent crime trending down in the past year, and another cadet class in line to put more officers on the street. There are 152, 115 cadets going through our police cadet classes to add to the number that we already have. While his administration has helped to greatly reduce Houston's homeless population, he says this year the goal is decommissioning remaining encampments across the city and not open another shelter, but a navigation center to help get people back on their feet. Now that's not saying you won't see any homeless people on the street, but we still want to reduce that. It's, about, it's roughly under 3,000. The mayor promises 22 parks will see major upgrades before his term is complete. And he says the Solid Waste Department continues working overtime to address illegal dumping. But with no city garbage fee and a revenue cap, he says there's only so much leaders can do. And for neighbors in Fifth Ward who have waited for decades to see cleanup of a cancer cluster the state found, Turner says the city and county are preparing to go to court if Union Pacific doesn't step up and take responsibility and clean up the toxic site. Right now, uh, the lawyers at the table 
But if we don't see any progress, any real progress soon, we will move forward on the law on the lawsuit against Union Specific. Mayor Turner also points out his administration has faced some unprecedented challenges like Hurricane Harvey and the pandemic. But again, he admits that there is a lot of work that still needs to be done. He did not say who he would endorse to be Houston's next mayor. In the newsroom, I'm Jonathan Martin, Fox 26 News. In addition, Turner also says he wants to highlight community facilities to set to, set to open in underserved areas that are part of his Complete Communities program, which seeks to restore equity in 10 historically neglected neighborhoods in the quarter line. That's a pretty uh, aggressive agenda. You know how quickly uh, a year will come and go. Uh, but but I like that he told uh, reporter Jonathan uh, Martin, hey, I got a list. You want, you want to see it? Come, come to my office. He, he really uh, touched on a lot of those topics within that interview, but I'm, I'm sure that list is, is pretty, it sounds like that list is pretty long. Yeah, and, and, and what's so great about this is, you know, oftentimes for not just mayors, but any elected uh, official in their final year in office, mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes that is the year where they're doing their victory lap and, you know, they are, you know, on a tour to promote what they've already done. And so, you know, part of what we we can glean from this report on Mayor Turner is that he's going to keep working until the final minute he's in office. I mean, with that very ambitious list of things uh, that are afoot, cleaning up a cancer cluster, you know, uh, decreasing the homeless population, opening a navigation uh, center uh, for the homeless. These are not easy things to do. These are not quick fixes. And so, you know, uh, I appreciate uh, his commitment to public service, and I also c appreciate how engaged the community is in terms mm -hmm. of pushing Mayor Turner and asking uh, him uh, to deliver on these things that were promised. Um, you know, and clearly we hear the mayor also managing expectations as well. That's true, and I think, you know, he's been doing something right for the past seven years. Uh, he's been, you know, reelected, and, you know, us, uh, Houston is rivaling Atlanta when you talk about, you know, folks relocating. Uh, I, I've know maybe about a handful of folks who've, who've chosen uh, Houston as this new place to, uh, you know, begin a new life or get a fresh start or, or continue, uh, you know, with their careers. And so it has become really a hot spot. And uh, so there's no doubt that he's done some, some great work and uh, he apparently has more great work to do uh, before he uh, steps aside. So we'll keep, uh, keep our eye on that. Coming up, the importance of black history in American classrooms. That's right. After the break, we take a deeper dive into the move to deny an AP African-American studies class. Mm. You're watching Fox News Black Report. We'll be right back after this. Oh, that gets you hot. Hot. Welcome back, Soulmates. Happy Friday. If you're just joining us, let's tap back into the top stories of the day. We begin in New Jersey, where police continue their search for two missing women whose families say they were last seen nearly two weeks ago. The couple, 25-year-old Amani Glover and 29-year-old Destiny Owens, uh, were reported missing out of Morristown and East Orange. 
Now, although the women are dating, their disappearances were a week apart. Owens was last seen in Newark on Christmas Eve, while Glover was reported missing on January 8th. Now over to Memphis, where a civil rights investigation is now underway in the death of Tyree Nichols. The investigation is being led by the Department of Justice and the FBI. The officers connected to Nichols' death were immediately placed on leave, although the department has not disclosed the number of officers involved in that investigation. And it will focus on whether the officers broke any laws, while also looking into what department policies may have been violated. And new details regarding the viral video of an Ohio officer punching a black woman in the head in the parking lot of a McDonald's. That officer has been placed on leave pending the investigation. The police chief says the officers responded to a call of a customer who was angry about a food order. Reports say the woman cooperated at first, but then refused to give the officers ID so they could give her a citation. The woman went to the hospital where she was treated for injuries to her head. And finally, it's an amazing story. A 47-year-old man by the name of Elvis Francois says he survived 24 days adrift in the Caribbean on a sailboat by eating ketchup, garlic powder, and seasoning cubes. Francois told police he was stranded back in December when currents swept his sailboat out to sea while he was making some repairs. Francois said he had to constantly remove water from that boat to prevent it from sinking. He also tried to light a fire to send a distress signal without success. However, rescue crews say Francois was able to write the word help on the boat's hull, which was key to locating him. The quarter lie. Thank you, Courtney. Now uh, off to where freedom rider and civil rights leader Herbert Young has died. Young was famously known for driving the bus that escorted the freedom riders from protests in Montgomery, Alabama. He has passed away at the age of 86. The Freedom Riders consisted of groups of black and white civil rights activists who challenged segregation on interstate buses and bus terminals in various states in 1961. Throughout his life, Young made history in his own right. Aside from being known as the Freedom Riders bus driver, his obituary highlighted that Young, who worked as a bus driver after graduating high school, was one of the first black individuals to unite the Montgomery area transit system and train new bus drivers of all races. Young is survived by his family, which consists of his sister, six children, six great-grandchildren, nieces and nephews, and the entire Montgomery mm, community. What an amazing life. All right, Tennessee State University is getting ready for a major upgrade. According to a report by the Office of Legislative Budget, there's an analysis that showed that the state underfunded the HBCU for decades. As a result of the underfunding, the university has received $250 million from that state legislature. This week, Tennessee State University President Dr. Glenda Baskin Glover revealed the money will be used to upgrade several academic buildings, replace windows, repair burst pipes, switch out uh, the HVAC units, uh, and uh, multiple roof repla replacements, along with more. It looks like black farmers are receiving support from agricultural giant Cargill. A new cohort of black farmers called the National Minority Supplier Development Council has gained a $120,000 grant from agricultural giant Cargill. Members 
taking part in the first cohort will complete an eight-week learning curriculum focused on growing their capacity to participate on major national contracts with the council's corporate members. The participants will also gain strategic business support that includes NMSDC certification. Jatheta Hernandez, senior director at the council, stated, quotes, increasing the numbers of black farmers in the U.S. agricultural industry is an essential part of achieving NMSDC's mission of eliminating the racial wealth gap within the next 50 years. All right, this was for our student soulmates as applications are now being accepted for the second annual NBA HBCU Fellowship as the NBA and the NBA Foundation partner with historically black colleges and universities to share career opportunities for undergrad and grad students. Juniors, seniors, and grad students from HBCUs can now apply through February 20th to intern with the league office or teams for a 10-week period this summer. The paid fellowship is designed to provide career development around the business and operations of the game, along with offering touchstones that reflect the culturally relevant experience of attending an HBCU. For more information about the NBA HBCU Fellowship, visit nba.com, key search NBA HBCU Fellowship. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' administration has blocked a new advanced placement course on African-American studies from being taught in high school, saying it violates state law and is historically inaccurate. Fox's Deborah Cho has the latest. An advanced placement course that was in the development for more than a decade about African-American studies, a class that's being offered in 60 schools across the country, will not be offered in Florida at least for now. In a letter, the Florida Department of Education said in part, the course lacked educational value. Some people we spoke with told us this was a move in the wrong direction. I don't think that's a reason to cut the studies. Yes, AP African American Studies is very specific to one race, but a lot of history taught is pertaining to other races in general. It is just trying to highlight African history to those who may not know. College Board's website says the course covers literature, the arts, humanities, political science, geography, and science to explore the vital contributions and experiences of African Americans. Another person we spoke with says he's okay with the course being offered, but it shouldn't be forced. It should be up to the person. It's to the, the person that has decide. You know what I mean? We don't have to uh, judge either and say, oh, because that's what they always always people do. Deborah Cho, Fox 35 News. DeSantis, who is a potential 2024 GOP presidential candidate, has opposed what he calls liberal ideologies in schools, including lessons around critical race theory, which examines systemic racism and has become a frequent target of conservatives. You know, I've been talking about this story yeah, all this week. Gets you hot. Uh, it gets me hot as an educator. It gets me hot as someone who was an AP U.S. history uh, student in an AP government. Uh, student back in high school. Um, listen, AP classes are not for everybody. Mm -hmm. They're advanced placement classes. And so uh, they aren't for everybody. You elect uh, to, take uh, to take those classes. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that, 
you know, at this point in our U.S. history, there are only 60 uh, schools across the country that are offering AP African American history. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that already speaks volumes. And, so, and, and let me just say also for the people that have this argument that, you know, well, I'm okay with it as long as you're not forcing it uh, uh, upon uh, all the students. It's not being forced upon all the students, although it would benefit a great many students to, to be able to immerse themselves in the contribution of African Americans. You know, you just heard in that piece, you know, that this AP course, it dives into literature, it dives, dives into the arts, the humanities, geography, and political science. And, and so, you know, should students not uh, be able to take those classes too? Should they not have political science classes forced upon them? Should they not have literature forced upon them? Uh, I think the argument um, uh, lacks a foundation, to say the least. I'm just tired of the argument. I mean, who's to say that you can't flip it and say that because there were no other alternatives, I was forced to learn about uh, Christopher Columbus, which was shown up in my history books. So why such the pushback when it comes to including uh, other uh, races? Uh, in particular, we're talking about black folks in our history, which I keep saying is American history. And, uh, you know, I went to, um, I use the example all the time, I went to a Catholic school, parochial school, all my life, and even that school, I want to say back in what the 70s on into the 80s, um, was forward thinking enough to know that, okay, you know, this is a Catholic school, however, we want our students to be aware of what goes on and how people believe around the world. We studied Islam, we studied Hinduism, we studied Judaism, and um, there was never any, any of this pushback. Uh, people weren't offended as if they are now. If anything, I think our parents uh, applauded the idea of making us aware and more well-rounded uh, students in regards to, to our belief system. It helped us respect it, understand that people are gonna believe differently than us, but they have a right to believe, just like we had a right to believe as, as Catholics, I mean, for me, Episcopalian, I just don't understand the argument in and of itself. Why are, is our history completely always in question and or denied. Yeah. It, it is America's history. You're right, and oh Senator Chevron, Chevron Jones uh, from the state of Florida, he pointed out that AP European history, AP art history, AP Japanese language and culture, AP German language and culture, AP Italian language and culture, and AP Spanish language and culture are offered. But for some reason, people are up in arms about AP African American history, mm. hmm, wonder why. Well, up next, new casting changes for the hit Broadway play, Hamilton. Oh yeah, a brother has been added to the cast. We'll introduce him once we return. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. <laughs> All right, soulmates, DeMar Hamlin continues to show progress as Buffalo Bills head coach Sean McDermott recently addressed the media and provided an update on Hamlin's status. Oh, yeah, it's a good look. Coach McDermott said the 24-year-old is now at the team's practice facility almost daily. As you remember, uh, Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest on January 2nd during the first quarter of the Bills versus Bengals Monday night football game. The Bills are now set to play the Bengals again on Sunday. It is unclear if Hamlin will be in attendance. The University of Southern California, fight on, <laughs> announced that its track and field facility has received a name change to honor Olympic medalist Allison Felix. The school made the announcement this week saying the stadium will now be known as the Allison Felix Field. Felix enrolled as a student at USC in 2003 and received an honorary doctorate of humane letters in 2007. Despite never competing for the university, Felix said she was raised a Trojan. 
In more Allison Felix news, the Olympic track star was just sworn in as an honorary member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, along with gospel artist Erica Campbell, Patti LaBelle, hello, and Congress member Lisa Blunt Rochester. Hey, so roars. All right, rumor has it Beyonce is in Dubai for a private performance where she is reportedly expected to rake in $24 million. Now, according to Ball Alert, social media users in Dubai shared video clips where Beyonce could be heard rehearsing songs like Crazy in Love, Spirit, Drunk in Love, among other hits. While the Grammy winner was not visible in the videos, Atlantis, the Royal Hotel, could be seen from afar where the performance is reportedly scheduled to take place. Are you ready for some football? Oh, yeah. And pop culture? Well, the NFL has announced that Snoop Dogg and Pete Davidson are the two team captains for the 2023 Pro Bowl games. Snoop will run the AFC with Peyton Manning as head coach. Snoop, who performed during last year's Super Bowl, told reporters that he's prepared to come out victorious in the competition. The Pro Bowl Games is a multi-day AFC versus NFC live competition that begins on ESPN Thursday, February 2nd. The top voted NFL players will compete in skills challenges, and so uh, we love to see it. Major League Baseball has a new couple of Chiefs in town. Alan Porter and Adrian Johnson have become the MLB's second and third black umpire crew chiefs as the league announced retirements and promotions from the minor league. Porter made his big league debut back in 2010 and joined the permanent staff back in 2013. Johnson worked his first major league game back in 2006 and became a full-time big league umpire in 2010. Curran Danley was the first black crew chief back in 2020. He has since retired the 2021 season. Uh, congrats to both of those guys. The Grammy-winning musical Hamilton has sold out shows since its debut, but this history lesson with a touch of hip hop may also be changing the look of Broadway forever. Take a look. This show is definitely more different than anything that you've ever seen before. There is a, an amazing diverse cast. We've got amazing diverse music, so there's a little something for everybody. This show is about the life of Alexander Hamilton, who was one of our founding fathers, um, the first secretary treasury, and it is his story and his life told through the medium of hip hop and rap music um, and jazz music and musical theater music, um, but it's essentially a history lesson with some hip hop added in. I play Alexander Hamilton. Um, he was our founding father. He, um, he did a lot of amazing things that you'll see throughout the show when you come and see it. Um, but the main thing, I guess, would be that he created our um, credit system as we know it today. Act one is more about the Revolutionary War and act two is more about the setup of our nation. I mean, this is the story of our founding fathers. All of these characters are super flawed. All of them are involved in the, in the uh, unraveling and the nuances and the creation of our of our country as we as we know it now. One of the m major you know pros of this show is the representation of it. Um, I think that 
it has changed the theater dynamic. So now when you go see shows, you see a lot of colorful casting because I think Hamilton was really the um, catalyst for that back in 2015. Hamilton has brought in a whole new group of people who maybe have never gone to theater or liked theater before, musical theater. I think it has allowed a lot of people who were not seen to be seen on stage and to seat themselves on stage. I know that growing up, I, I didn't have a lot of shows to see myself in. Um, so now being a part of a show that others can see themselves in is, is pretty important, I think. I think it cuts across a lot of boundaries and gets to people so that it, it spurns interest, which is really, really cool. That you get people who would have never come to see the, any show, let alone Hamilton. The look of Broadway and the look of musical theater was forever changed with Hamilton. You can see um, 1776, which is a show about the Founding Fathers as well, and it is an all-female cast. So it's, I think it's already you know, really changed the fabric of not just theater, not just musical theater, but like entertainment, movies at large. Um, and I think that Hamilton showed people that it could be done. I came through here probably 20 years ago with Lion King, and I say Lion King is one of the most spiritual shows I've ever done, and Hamilton is the most important show that I've ever done. I feel pretty proud being in the show because the show is so important, I think, um, not just to the musical theater world, but I think it, to the world at large. I think it's a very important piece of work. Um, so I've, I felt very proud being in this show, and being Hamilton and on top of that is just, is, you know, you can't beat that. Tampa audiences have been amazing. We've been having such a great time. Um, so this is our invitation for you to come out. Don't throw away your shot to see our company perform Hamilton live. Cast members say Hamilton changed the look of Broadway and the look of musical theater forever. Courtney, mm. let me just say this. So much of an appreciation for, uh, for theater uh, and for what they're doing to change the face of Broadway. But let me just, you know, harken back to the story that we, we just talked about, mm. about the African-American studies class, uh, the AP African-American studies class. Um, um, not being taught in, in Florida because of Governor DeSantis. Um, you can't really have an appreciation for the genius of Hamilton, you know, without a knowledge of history. And this is why it's so important that, you know, we tell the truth when we tell our history, our American history, not just black history, mm -hmm. but our American history. Which is black history. Yeah. And vis-a-vis. You know, we, I mean, let's let's just be honest here. I, I love that piece. That was a great, great package. Um, and I know my first, you know, experience um, uh, viewing a Broadway play. I was a, a little, a little, a little gal, and uh, our dad uh, took us uh, to New York for vacay, and we were able to see The Wiz. So I didn't know any different that there weren't a lot of, you know, black folks on, on Broadway. I think back in that era, it was like The Wiz and Dream Girls, far but few, few between. Uh, not a lot of black folks, especially in the lead. And so my first, you know, image of Broadway was 16-year-old uh, Stephanie Mills and, and all those other wonderful uh, actors and actresses portraying um, the Wiz on Broadway. So for me, I've always thought that, you know, that's what was happening. But obviously, you know, as a, you know, you mature and you see pieces like this, it is still, uh, there's still a push uh, to make sure that we are proper, properly uh, represented uh, on Broadway, big screen, little screen. Um, and it's good to see. That's right. It's, it's good especially to good to see them creating opportunities right. for black folks on Broadway because for a long time it was hard. In untraditional it was hard, roles. You know, for, for folks to get whether yeah. it was traditional roles or even just, you know, um, 
you know, being an understudy That's on right. Broadway, that was tough. Yeah. And so it's good to see mm -hmm. uh, that progress. It makes and you watch the Tonys now, too. Yeah. I, well, I've tuned into the Tonys now, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Lots to see. Well, still ahead, Black Excellence is next. And today it's filled with even more Black Girl That's magic. right. Don't you go anywhere. We're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. It's Friday, baby. You ready for your weekend? I'm ready. I know I am. You ready? <laughs> oh, yes. You stay ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Soulmates, Terrence Blanchard, the first black composer whose work has been heard at the Metropolitan Opera, will get a year-long Lincoln Center celebration at the Lincoln Center starting in March. That's right, the Met, New York uh, Philharmonic, Jazz at Lincoln Center, Film at Lincoln Center, the Juilliard School, and the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts will all focus on compositions by Blanchard, who turns 61 on March 13th. Blanchard is a two-time Academy Award nominee and five-time Grammy Award winner. His 2019 opera, Fire Shut Up In My Bones, <laughs> sold out eight performances at the Met in September and October 2021 and is being revived for the 2023-2024 season. You know, uh, that was based upon Charles Blow's mm -hmm. uh, best-selling book. Mm -hmm. Just saw Charles Blow hey, Charles. Uh, on, a, on a, a Delta flight recently. Amazing, uh, amazing, amazing musician. And uh, he is also well-known for his musical scores uh, on, on movies in particular, a lot of the Spike Lee movies. So a lot of that background music that you hear, that score is done none other by uh, Terrence Blanchard. He's been around for years on top of years, uh, making history, making some great music. And I want to say uh, Mo Better Blues is all him. Uh, did you hear Mookie, you know, playing that? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, all him yeah. there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just love the idea of just him being the first black composer, being a trailblazer, uh, and really, you know, making a way for so many other black artists mm -hmm. to be able to go down that path. Mm -hmm. Was it Mookie? Was that do the right thing? It was still a spike. I'm going to have to call my friend Jazz. He would know. That was years and years yeah. ago. Yeah. Tell him my age. Oh. All right. <laughs> Executives from uh, At The Well conferences are bringing back their much-talked-about two-week academy to the campus of Princeton University. That's right. Students from across the country will have the opportunity to apply for this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the Leadership Academy taking place this summer at the Princeton Theological Seminary. Black high school girls in their sophomore and junior years are given the college life experience in an Ivy League setting by living in dormitories and attending classes specifically designed to encourage and increase black female corporate wow, leaders. How amazing is that? Now, during the course of the two-week program, students learn critical thinking, college essay writing, as well as attend leadership workshops. The application deadline is March 31st, a chance to hang out on a campus, an Ivy League campus. That's, that's right. That's pretty amazing. You know, um, so I actually remember being a high school student, mm -hmm. and when I went on my college tour, one of the universities that I had a chance to look at was Princeton University. Uh, one of my old classmates, Aaron Bianco, was a student at, at Princeton, mm -hmm. and not just a student at Princeton. He was one of Toni Morrison's students, Ooh. right? And so it just so happens the time that I was there, uh, class was not in session, so I didn't get a chance to to, to sit in on his lecture uh, with uh, the Toni Morrison. But uh, you know, it's something about visiting 
you know, a college campus, mm -hmm. getting a feel, and really being able to hold the vision of what it looks like for you to be there, mm -hmm. and not just be there, but to thrive and to have fun. And so yeah. I'm just so glad that, that uh, these teen girls have this invitation, yeah. uh, and I hope they, they, they take up the opportunity to put their application in by March 31st. Well, an Ivy, Ivy League visitation was not in my wheelhouse. However, um, I did visit um, uh, and get accepted into Spelman, which was considered the, the Ivy League of the HBCUs. That didn't work out. Ended up at Michigan State University and was a, um, uh, what do you call it, an orientation leader. Uh, I, so I was the one who said, welcome to Michigan State University, I founded in 1855. On the left, we have. I can see. Can't, can't, <laughs> so, you, can't you see it? So it, it all worked out the way it was supposed to work out. Yeah. Some regret every now and again that I didn't go ahead and gone down to Spelman, but even back then, fall of 89, yeah. when my daddy saw that, that pricing. <laughs> Plus, <laughs> I would have had to take in a lot of my classes at uh, Clark, which had the communications yeah. department, and he just didn't understand, well, why are you going to Spelman in most of your classes at Clark? So that's just More importantly, what am I paying for Spelman? I know, I know. When you really get your, your, know, your classes I at, at Clark. But I, I, think, I think we made you know, good choices. I think Every we did. Again, we did like all we, right. I missed, I missed out on some HBCU moments, especially, you know, when you see the camaraderie and, and the homecomings. But I think um, we fared well. But showing up as as an anchor here at Foxhole's Black yeah. Report, that it that brings is, it full circle. That is uh, a modicum. If that's a modicum of what the HBCU experience is, what? I think we're having if it represents a modicum. A, a modicum. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's fancy. Oh, please. Ivy League. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm Courtney Hicks. <laughs> and I'm That's the Cordelite Corte. <laughs> Have a wonderful, safe weekend. That's right. We love you, soulmates. <laughs> Until next time, stay lifted. A modem, a what? A, a modicum. modicum. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs>